Well, again, good morning. It is great to have you here. I don't know if when you watch that video or not, I cannot help but smile when I'm watching all of those people and just their great big smiles. It is fantastic. Thanks for being a part of our service, making it a priority. Um, again, we just want to say we hope you're able to join us on November the 1st for Pack the House. Um, it is going to be all virtual, so in case you're like, oh, are we getting it? It's all online, and we're all, right now, it's, we're going to be safe, all that. We're, it's virtually online at this point, um, unless all of a sudden COVID goes away, then we'll change that. But hope you join us online. Uh, we started a new series last week. None of that was scripted. Um, the people are like, what are you talking about? Anyway, uh, that happens every week. Anyway, we started a new series last week called Choose Joy. And what we're doing is we're looking in the book of Philippians, and the book of, or the letter to the Philippians is really probably the most positive book in the Bible, the most joyful book, the, the, the happiest book, you would say, in the Bible. And one of the mistakes that we fall into and that we need to understand when we're talking about choosing joy is oftentimes we fall into the trap of when and then type of thinking. Basically, when, when this thing happens, then I will know joy. Then joy will be possible. And we, and we tend to fall into this in our life all the time. Like, you know, you remember when you were like, when I finally go away to college, then I'll know joy. Oh, wait, wait, when I finally get married, then there will be joy. When we finally have a baby, now there will be joy. When we finally get that job, then, or when we finally get our kids off to school, or when we finally get our kids to leave the house, that one might be true, I don't know, but, but then we will find joy. And last week we were looking at the fact that, that when we decide to choose joy, it's really about some choices that we make and some things that we choose to do. And last week we centered on the idea of relationships. And what we uncovered that is that joy isn't just a positive state of mind. Joy truly is choosing to actively make choices, choosing some actions that will create and establish joy in our lives. So th think about it this way. Let's say we decided to choose painting. Let's say I choose painting. I can't just choose paint, painting and then suddenly I have, I have a bunch of completed works of art in my house, right? If I choose painting, I have to go choose some supplies and I have to go choose where I'm gonna set up my easel or my canvas. I have to choose a location to paint. I have to choose a subject to paint. I have to choose what style. I'll, if you're me, I have to choose to take some lessons. You gotta choose to spend some time. You gotta choose your paintbrush. There's, there's lots of choices that have to make when we, when we choose to paint. And the same is true when we choose joy. Choosing joy is more than just choosing to be happy. It's choosing to take some steps. It's choosing some actions and some attitudes that will lead to joy. And one of the huge things that we need to understand when it comes to choosing joy is to realize that there are some obstacles and there are some true enemies to joy that, we, that we'll need to overcome. So this morning we're going to be looking in Philippians 1, 12 through 30 and see that Paul speaks to these obstacles. And Paul's going to give us, give us some very practical examples of, of how we can choose joy no matter what's happening. And last week I mentioned that Paul, the writer of this, one of the early church leaders, he wrote the book, or wrote the letter to the Philippians on how we can choose joy. He wrote it while he was sitting in prison. And he's sitting in prison because he was preaching Jesus. So now he finds himself in Rome, 
in prison. And all of this has happened after four years of life that really didn't seem all that joyful. I mean, in the years leading up to being in prison in Rome, he'd spent two years in jail in Caesarea under false charges. Then, on the way of getting transported from Caesarea to Rome, the ship that he's on ends up getting shipwrecked in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean, and he ends up on a deserted island, which, that would never sound bad if deserted was actually just a desert island. Could you imagine if you landed, if you all said, oh, oh, it's a desert, no, it's desert island. That would not be so bad. Anyway, that's not where he landed. He landed on a deserted island. He's stranded there for a while, but it's not completely deserted. It's actually got poisonous snakes, thank you very much, of which he gets bit. But then eventually he actually gets to Rome where he is put into prison for two years. He's such, a, such an important prisoner. He gets chained to a guard. A guard gets chained to him for 24 hours a day, no privacy, all because he's such an important prisoner. Paul has every reason to be bitter. He has every reason to be miserable. He has every reason to be depressed. If there was ever a guy that could throw a pity party, Paul is the guy. But instead, he chooses to write about joy. So this morning, we're going to be focusing in on Philippians 1, 12 through 30. Let's read. We're going to read that whole section. Here's what it says. Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach out of, out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eager, eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will, su uh, sufficiently, but, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean faithful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but they will be saved, and that by God, and that will be by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now that I still have, and here that I still have. Last week, we, we rolled out a challenge to you to begin to read through the book of Philippians each week. 
that in between our times together on Sunday, that, that you would read that and that you would allow that to begin to soak into your mind and soak into your heart. And, and there were a bunch of you that responded on, on, in the chat. You said, I'm in. And my hope is that you had an opportunity to listen. And, and if you agreed last week, if you said, I'm in, and then you forgot, good news, we're not kicking you out of the club. You could still join. And if you didn't join last week, if you didn't read Philippians, join it. It literally will take you about 20 minutes to read through that book and allow those words that Paul writes to take up a deeper connection within your heart and allow God to use those powerful words. And part of choosing joy can actually come through the choice to read through Philippians, to, to begin to choose joy and allow that to begin to not just be an attitude of choice, but to begin to choose an action. Because this particular letter that was written by Paul is this, is this warm personal letter and Paul is writing this personal letter because he wants to encourage his friends that are in Philippi. And in this passage, he covers some obstacles that, that their enemy wants to bring and some obstacles that will prevent joy from happening. And, and he tells us how he dealt with them and how he maintained joy. And he wanted to encourage his friends to say, listen, whatever happens, even when things happen that we hadn't planned on, He's like, I want to encourage you. And so, so he writes a letter, and he sends a letter of encouragement to his friends. So let me just ask you really quickly. If you were to receive a letter or a message of encouragement, what would be the best way for you to receive that message? Throw it in the chat. Are you a person that you would love to get a letter of encouragement, like a physical letter, you know, where they put a stamp on there and it shows up in your mailbox? Are you more of a phone call person, a text message in person, would you be really encouraged like if a, if a courier pigeon landed on your front door? Maybe you want to be encouraged in the chat. Just put that right now. I want to be encouraged in the chat, and I'm thinking some people will try to encourage you right there. But in this letter to the Philippians, Paul is showing us that we can choose joy no matter what happens which means that we have to choose some actions. We have to choose to keep moving. We have to choose to engage in the process no matter what. And really the key verse that we're looking at this morning is verse 27. In verse 27, Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. And when Paul says that it's possible that no matter what happens, we can conduct ourselves in a manner that's worthy of Jesus Christ, that means it's possible to choose joy no matter what. And Paul, in fact, continues to choose joy even while sitting in prison for speaking up and preaching about Jesus. Paul is saying, whatever happens, you can choose joy. And Paul begins to model and begins to describe some habits and some choices and some ways that, that you and I personally, can each of us can say that I choose joy no matter what, no matter what happens, if I, meaning we have to take ownership of our own joy. It is nobody else's responsibility for you to have joy. When you and I choose joy, no matter what, we're saying it isn't dependent on what other people do for me or what I receive from other people. Choosing joy for myself doesn't depend on what other people say. We can choose joy no matter what. And when we choose joy no matter what, it happens when you and I choose, when you and I choose to look at every problem from God's viewpoint. Now, people that can experience joy people that can experience joy no matter what happens, they've taken a larger perspective on things. They have a bigger view. They have they've sort of taken this whole picture concept. 
And when we don't look at things through the big picture, we don't get to see God, God's point and what God is headed to. And as a result, we get discouraged and we get frustrated and we become unhappy. And the reason that we become unhappy is that we don't see what God is doing. And the truth is that no matter what is going on, whether life is good or bad or ugly, God ultimately is working his plan. Even when we make mistakes, God has the ability to to put those mistakes and weave them right into his plan. God can use those moments. God can use the sin in our lives. God has the ability to take the moments where we have faults, and he's like, okay, well, that wasn't really what we wanted to have happen, but God can still steer that into what he was planning. And God says, I can still fit that in my plan. And Paul recognized that, and he knew that, so he starts out with verse 12. Paul says this, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped spread the good news. And what we need to understand is what Paul is talking about. See, Paul was a, he was a planner. Paul was a dreamer. See, from the moment, that time, moment when Paul first met Jesus, Paul began to have this idea that if he could get to Rome and begin to preach, if he could get to Rome, he would be basically stepping into the center of the known universe. Rome was the, was the capital of the empire, of, of the Roman Empire. Rome was the place, Rome was the most powerful, most strategic place. There was no other nation more important than the Roman nation, the Roman Empire. No other city more important than Rome. And Paul is thinking, if I can get to Rome, if I can get to Rome and begin to preach, it will spread everywhere. And if today, if Paul were alive, I would think that probably the city that Paul would want to get to would be New York. If Paul was here today, he would think, if I can get to New York and begin to preach, I can really make a big splash. Now, I I tend to think he would go to New York. Maybe you can think of a more powerful, strategic, important city. Throw that in the chat, or maybe you're like, nope, 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 New York is the place. But maybe New York is just a little bit of my American bias, I don't know. Maybe somebody can make a case for London or Tokyo or some other... If Paul were alive today, what city would he go to? Because Paul is dreaming that if if he can get to Rome or if he could get to New York or London or whatever, he's thinking if I can get there and begin to share about Christ in in the center of it all, the word will begin to spread. And and Paul's thinking, I can get to Rome and maybe we'll rent out the Colosseum and and I'll preach to tons of people and I'll tell them about Jesus and everybody will hear about it and it will begin to spread. That's what Paul is thinking. He's like, I got to get to Rome, and I got to begin to preach to everybody. And God's like, I have another idea. Paul, you're going to go to Rome, but you're going to be a prisoner. Paul, you're not only going to be a prisoner, you're going to be a royal prisoner of Caesar. And at this particular point, the Caesar of Rome was Nero. And if you don't know about Nero, this dude was wicked. And not wicked like good wicked. Like, like, not good wicked. He's, this is a bad guy. And Paul is a prisoner of Nero. He's a royal prisoner, which means essentially he has a guard that's chained to him 24 hours a day. But because he is chained to a guard, and because he is a royal prisoner of sorts, he actually begins to have some access to these important guards. And he's actually able to talk to some people that he wouldn't be able to talk to otherwise. He basically begins to explain that everybody around begins to know. 
I mean, Paul is literally chained to a guard 24 hours a day for two years, and every four hours they would rotate which guard was chained to him. So I ask you, who's the true prisoner? Because for two years, Paul gets to have nearly 4,380 conversations with guards. Every four hours, a new guy. Or the same guy, you know. Paul has a captive audience. God's like, my plan is that you will begin to talk to the royal guards in a place of influence. And actually, when we get to the end of Philippians, in chapter 4, Paul, Paul begins to describe that now individuals within Nero's family have become believers in Christ. Very likely as a result of the fact that Paul was considered a royal prisoner and had access to, the, to those situations. Paul was in prison. And not only did Paul have a captive audience within the royal situation, but he was forced to sit. I mean, Paul's a goer. He's a doer. He's got, but because he's forced to sit in prison, all of a sudden now he has some time on his hands. He has the time to write some letters. And those letters ultimately become a part of the New Testament. So, so Paul could have spent all of his time preaching to the Romans in the Colosseum, or he could write some letters that would be included in the most widely published book in the history of the world. The Bible. So, so who's, what got more word out? Because in prison, he re- writes to the Ephesians, and he writes to the Philippians, and he writes to the Colossians, and he writes to a guy na- named Philemon. And this is what Paul says. He's like, listen, I want you to know that even all, though all of this has happened, even though I'm sitting in prison, all of this has actually helped to spread the good news of Jesus. He's like, I had a plan, but God had an even bigger plan. And so he says, I was able to choose joy because I could see what God was doing through my problem. So for just a moment, I want you to think about a problem that you're facing in life. What is that struggle? What, what is that prison that you feel like you're in? And what would happen if you started to look at that situation through God's viewpoint and what God might be able to accomplish through that struggle? Because anytime we're in a problem, anytime there's a situation, it can get us down, it can cause us to lose joy, or we can do what Paul does and begin to see, what is God's viewpoint of this? And when we begin to choose joy as we face these problems and these situations, when we choose joy, it's going to lead to two opportunities. The first thing it can lead to is it can lead to the opportunity for you and I to represent Jesus to those that don't know him yet. As a follower of Jesus, we get to represent him in the way that we live. And it's really easy to say that Jesus is great and everything's fine when life is sunny and bright. But we have to recognize that the greatest opportunity to represent Jesus are in times when things are tough, when situations are difficult. That's when people will notice that Jesus has actually made a difference in our life. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says it this way. He says, For everyone here, including all of the soldiers in the palace guard, know that I am in chains because of Christ. Because he would not shut up. And they all now know. He wasn't going to allow this moment to be wasted. He was going to make sure that everyone knew why he was there. That he was willing to be in chains because of who Jesus was and what Jesus had done in, their life, in his life and what Jesus could do in their life. And so he represented Jesus in a difficult situation. Also, what he demonstrated is that we can be an encouragement for other believers. Listen to what he says in the next one. He says, and because of my imprisonment, many of the Christians here have gained confidence and become more bold in telling others about Christ. 
He's like, listen, others are watching how I'm able to handle myself in here and how I'm choosing joy and how I'm facing this, and they are motivated to keep telling others. And what we have to recognize is that God can use the problem that we're going through right now in these same ways. That when we choose joy, no matter what it is that we're facing, no matter what it is that we're going through, if we can choose joy in that process and continue to represent Jesus, it can literally change eternity for other people. Paul is choosing to represent Jesus to those that didn't know Jesus yet. And he's choosing to represent Jesus and be an encouragement to the other believers to help them be bold. And these are two of the reasons that that we can choose joy and that should motivate us to choose joy no matter what's happening. And it happens when we begin to look with God's perspective at the situation that we're going through. We can also choose joy when we choose that we don't give up control of my attitude. Paul sets this amazing example that no matter what happens, he's never going to let others control his attitude. In the next section, he begins to talk about four people, four types of people that could have impacted, impacted his attitude, but Paul doesn't allow it. And here's how he describes it. He says this. He says, it's true that some preach Christ because they are jealous and quarrelsome, Others preach for genuine goodwill. These do so out of love, and they know God's given me the work of defending the gospel. Others preach Christ sincerely from a spirit of selfish selfish ambition. Others just want to stir up more trouble for me and add to my pain while I am in prison. So he talks about four groups, and the first group he points out, he's like, there's some jealous arguers out there. And the the Greek word that he used for quarrelsome, he uses this word, I'm probably going to say it wrong, but I think it's eris. Eris basically means someone that loves to argue. They just love to argue. Sorry, I didn't mean to look at you, Travis. Um, just, <laughs> they just enjoy controversy. They love, they love getting into a fight. They love being contentious and divisive and critical. That's not true of Travis at all. Sorry. <laughs> he, just, he, he flashed the light. Anyway, uh, but, but notice the, the, the critic is motivated out of jealousy. And people that tend to be critical, they're jealous of what is going on, and so as a result, they begin to be critical of the situation. Then he talks about some good guys in the situation, some friends, some comrades, some others that are are out there preaching, and, and basically he's saying, I'm not alone in this, there's others that are doing good stuff. Then he describes those that are doing things out of selfish ambition. And I hate to say it, but there are literally people that are involved in ministry who are driven by ego. And the result is they begin to have this ministry and the competition is trying to be the best, trying to be the biggest, trying to have the most books or the most followers. And one of the easiest ways to detect when somebody's motive is selfish ambition is to see whether or not they are putting other people down in an effort to build themselves up. They're basically ministering out of selfish ambition and so they feel compelled to cause other people or put other people down to make themselves look better. And this happens in ministry, but it happens in all kinds of areas. This happens in, for moms. It happens for dads. It can happen with your neighbors. It happens, happens with bumper sticker kid awards, right? Like Competition that's driven by selfish ambition centers around tearing others down to build themselves up. And if we allow ourselves to be consumed by those individuals, they will steal our joy. And then there's a last group that Paul talks about that are basically just straight-up enemies. Just individuals that are trying to mess him up. 
And the truth is, regardless of which area or group of people, we can't stop what they are choosing to do. We, however, can choose how we're going to allow what they do to impact our attitudes. We certainly don't need these people to tell us that we can't have joy. We get to choose to not allow those that want to argue and those that want to tear down and those that want to mess up life. We get to choose to not give them the power to determine how we feel. We don't have to depend on other people's approval for us to choose joy. The reality is if we haven't earned their approval yet, we're probably not going to get it. And if we're constantly pursuing that, we're going to find ourselves miserable trying to gain their approval in order to find joy. Listen to how Paul's processing this. He says, ah, that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. Paul's like, I'm not going to let other people control my attitude. These people are criticizing what I'm doing. They're competing with what I'm doing. There's people out there conspiring to try and make sure I fail at what I'm doing. He's like, it doesn't matter. He's like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on Christ, and I'm going to continue to choose joy, and I'm going to recognize that even though they're trying to tear me down, the message of Jesus is still being spread. And he's going to choose not to allow anybody else to steal his joy. Because other people are always going to have thoughts and ideas about things that we should do or things that we shouldn't do. And we don't have to allow anybody to rob us of joy. We don't need to allow anybody to control our attitude. We, we, we don't have to care what critics or haters or detractors are going to say. In order for us to choose joy no matter what, a huge part of that is not allowing other people to control the attitude that we take. We get to control that. At the end of the verse, Paul helps us understand greater how it is that he's able to make this choice. Listen to the mentality that he has here. He says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this fight together. You have seen me suffer for him in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of a great struggle. If you and I choose joy, even in prison... Paul is saying, even in prison, it's going to happen when I choose to, to take on God's viewpoint. And he's saying, listen, everything has happened because it's ultimately working to help spread the message of Jesus. It's a choice to recognize that we have a chance to represent Jesus to those that don't believe in him yet. It's an opportunity to be an encouragement to other believers. That no matter whether there's critics or complainers or competition, we get to say, you know what, I'm not going to allow them to stop me from choosing joy. I'm going to stay focused. I'm going to be fearless. And all of this is built on a choice to decide that we are going to continually trust God to work things out. We don't always know how it's going to work out. We don't always see the ending, but we can always trust that God is going to work things out. I'm really curious. Uh, I'm guessing that many of you watched the Seahawks game last week. I'm really curious, was you watched the Seahawks game last week, when did you know that it was going to work out for the Seahawks? When is it that you knew without a doubt that they were going to win? In the chat, really quick, tell me when you were sure, when you knew. Like when, when was that moment that you were like, I have no doubt they're going to win this game? Was it the kickoff? 
How about at halftime when they're down 13 points? How about in the third quarter? Maybe it was when they stopped the Vikings when it was fourth and inches. Maybe it was when the Seahawks had the ball on the six-yard line and it was first down and goal to go. Was it when they made the final catch? When did you know for sure it was going to work out? Now, don't don't be impressed, but I knew at the start of the third quarter when I was watching, I knew before the comeback, I knew they were going to win. I mean, I could just feel it. Like, I was watching, and I could just sense it. I watched how the players ran onto the field. I watched how the Seahawks took the field. I was like, I know they're going to win this thing. I knew right at the start of the third quarter. And the reason that I really know is that we typically have to watch the game delayed on Sundays because of responsibilities and schedule on Sundays. And we have somebody in our neighborhood that lights fireworks every time the Hawks win. So just before we, heard the, before we started the third quarter, we heard the fireworks. But the Seahawks had just played terribly in the first half. It was a disaster. They were down 13. But we were able to trust the fireworks. And then when the Seahawks ended up scoring three touchdowns in two minutes, we trusted the fireworks. And then when the Vikings came down and they scored at the end of the third quarter, and then they scored again in the fourth quarter to take the lead, we trusted the fireworks. And then when the Vikings had the ball with two minutes to go on the Seahawks' six-yard line, only needing to go inches, we trusted the fireworks. And with 15 seconds left and the Seahawks have the ball fourth and goal, and it looks like this is trust of the fireworks, and they managed to win, even when it looked like there was no way it was going to work out. We had heard the fireworks, so we knew how it was going to turn out. So in your life, when relationships are falling apart, you can trust God that he's going to work things out. And when the bank account is at zero and there's still more days left in the month, you can trust God that he's going to work things out. And when our country is on the verge of imploding, we can trust that God will work things out. And when the doctor doesn't have answers, we can trust that God will work things out. And when life looks like there's no way that things are going to work out, we can continually trust that God is at work. Listen to how Paul spells it out. He says this, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and as the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, All that's happened will turn out for my deliverance. When the problem is going on, we have two options. We can either choose to worship or we can choose to worry. We can choose to pray or we can choose to panic. We can worship or we can worry. And the more that we worship, it gives us a lot less time to worry. And the more that we pray, the less time we have to panic. I mean, these these are our options. And, And this verse is so powerful. Because Paul basically walks us through the, where we can find the strength in tough times. How we can stay positive. How we can choose joy. No matter what's happening. He's like, I'm going to continue to have God's perspective when I look at my problems. That's why he says, for I know. He's like, I've heard the fireworks. So I know how it's going to keep going. I know that God is going to work in this situation. I'm going to take God's perspective. He's like, for I know. He's like, I also know that there's people praying for me. That's going to keep me going. He's like, I know that I've got the Holy Spirit working in me, giving me strength. I know that's going to help me keep going. He says, I'm going to expect that God is going to continue to work. He's saying, I have faith that God is at work in this. 
Paul is saying, I've got perspective. I've got people praying. I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got faith. And as a result, I'm going to choose joy. And our option, our opportunity is to continually choose joy. To choose joy no matter what is happening. Because we look at at it from God's viewpoint. We don't allow others to control our attitude. We continually trust that God is going to work things out. And then the last thing we do is we choose to stay focused on my purpose, not on my problem. If I stay focused on my purpose and not my problem, I can choose life or choose joy even when life is falling apart. And it's not just my purpose that I dream up. It's God's purpose for what he has determined for my life. And so for Paul, you gotta, he's this old dude sitting in prison a long way from home, stuck in Rome, literally awaiting execution. These are not joyful times. They've taken everything from Paul. They've taken his friends. They've taken his freedom. They've taken his ministry. They've taken his privacy. He's chained to a guard 24 hours a day. But Paul says, one thing they can't take away from me is my purpose. They can't take away my choice to pursue the purpose that God has given me. It's like I'm going to continue to do that. They're not going to take my purpose away from me. And he's saying, my purpose is to serve God by serving others. He's saying, no matter what happens, that's what I'm going to do. Verse 22 through 25, it says this. He says, but if I live, I can, but if I, live I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Paul is just this amazing, incredible person. He manages to find his purpose in living, and he finds his purpose in dying. But he's like, ah, right now it would be better for me to stay living. Because on earth I can serve God by serving other people. And the greatest thing for you and I to recognize is that you and I can choose joy no matter what when we find ways to serve other people. Because sure, our problems don't go away, but when we begin to serve other people, by, we serve God by serving other people, now suddenly it's not all about our problem. Now our focus becomes, how do I meet other people's needs? And not allow my problems to consume my thoughts and consume my worry. Now I decide to, instead of focus on what I need, I focus on what other people need. So I offer a cup of water to somebody that needs water. Help an orphan that's in need. Take care of the sick. Assist the poor. Educate the next generation. Help fight against corruption. Help financially support our sister church in El Salvador. All of these things are ultimately serving God by serving others, meeting people's needs in the name of Jesus. And the reason that it's so difficult for us to choose joy when life isn't going well is because oftentimes we've made life all about our comfort and our fulfillment. And when it's all about me, as soon as it's not going well for me, I won't be able to choose joy. But when my life becomes about others, now I can choose joy because I'm getting to serve others, because I'm getting to give of myself to others. So maybe right now you find yourself stuck at home. And you could say, oh, poor me, I'm stuck at home. Or you could start to figure out ways to make phone calls, send text messages, send letters to other people that are stuck at home. If you find yourself able to get to the store, find people that can't get to the store and say, I'll shop for you. If you find yourself out of work, find ways to give of your time. Choosing joy isn't just about being happy and silly and funny and skipping through the daisies. Those all sound like choosing joy. But choosing joy 
is to challenge the way that we view the world and view what's going on around us, to look at it from God's viewpoint. It's about making ourselves and understanding that it's not all about ourselves. And then trusting that God is in control even when it seems like things are out of control. And every week we put some practical next steps in the, in the message notes there. Some things for you to begin to do to allow yourself to choose joy. So what's your next step? Maybe your next step is to begin to adopt God's viewpoint for the problems you're facing. Maybe your next step is to identify those that attempt to control your attitudes. Maybe your next step is to tell God you trust him with your current struggle or problem. And maybe your next step is to pursue what Jesus wants to do through your life and through the struggles and difficulties you're in. Whatever it is, I would just challenge you and encourage you to to let God work in your heart, allow Jesus to move you to a position that you'll choose joy, that you'll choose to take action, that you'll choose to put some steps, some habits in your life that will allow you to continually choose joy. Let's pray. God, this morning, we thank you. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for all that you do in our lives. We thank you for the ways that you're working. God, would you help us to begin to to look at the situations, the things that are going on around us, the struggles that we're having that can so easily pull us down? Would you help us to begin to view those the way that you view them, to see what it is that you could be doing and where you're at work? God, would you give us the reminder to to spend time and read through Philippians this week to, to allow those words to really begin to sink into our hearts and sink into our minds that we might be able to consistently choose joy and to represent you to those that don't know you and to be an encouragement to those that do. We love you. Thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.